This is episode 40 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and myself will be talking today about how people break free from the addiction and recovery trap. We're the co-authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction and a real solution that's individual-centered. There are two ways you can learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes. One way is at our beautiful private St. Jude Retreat, uh, which is open with limited capacity right now. Um, Or you can learn it through at-home Freedom Model private instruction, which we do via video conference. You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and about the Freedom Model Private Instruction at Home program at LeaveAddictionBehind.com. And Stephen's going to talk about what we're talking about today. All right. So um, today I'm looking at this article by Christine Byrne in OutsideOnline.com. It's a pretty good article. I like it. It's called, You Can't Actually Be Addicted to Sugar. Uh, And then the tagline there is, yes, it tastes great, but it's not a drug. Um, Now, through the article, she goes through a whole bunch of points about sugar. um, And she talks, I guess, to some scientists, and she brings up some scientific information. You know, it, it hits the same pleasure center and makes the same dopamine releases in the brain as various drugs. Um, and people often binge on it. It create, you know, it's involved with pleasure seeking, all sorts of things. And, um, but she argues that, you know, it's not really addictive. And so one of the, um, psychologist that she has in here says, um, at the very end of it, I love the wrap-up because it fits yeah, with like it's exactly good. what we say. By conceptualizing your relationship with sugar as an addiction, you can only understand it that way, Habdemariam says. Thinking of sugar as something you can't quit can make you feel out of control around it. Thinking of it as something you like eating sometimes makes it feel like more of a choice. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's true for anything. That that ends up being the <laughs> ultimate endpoint of the article. And the thing is, you know, we've you know we've been looking at you know people like Stanton for years comparing drug addiction to love or yep. to running, mm-hmm. various things like that. Um, we've made the comparisons to food, porn, gambling that everybody makes. Yep. Yep. Right. And we've seen where the neuroscience, we've looked at that and and yeah, each one of these things, music, even, right. Yeah. They, they, you know, in this article, she cites that playing with puppies lights up the pleasure center of the brain. (laughs) It is pretty awesome. (laughs) Right. And Um, You know, you see where Mark Lewis has gone through that and said, hey, all of these things do the same stuff in the brain. And so we've always made the comparison. And now here's somebody really trying, pointing out the same things and then struggling to sort of tear it apart and say, no, wait a minute. Um, Why are, you know, no, really drugs are different. Um, When every, you know, when everybody's finally coming around and saying that they're different, that, that sugar you know, and drugs are, are the same. Um, but so 
where do you guys want to go okay with this? a couple of things one thing is she's able to deconstruct the whole addiction thing with sugar in about four paragraphs right right yeah, she I know does. That's the, yeah and and the the reason is because there's two factors that sugar doesn't have that maybe um, something like heroin or alcohol has and that is you don't have withdrawal real right withdrawal now that there's this sure. uh, there's this idea with sugar that they kind of make leaps with their withdrawal with sugar. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah yeah and uh, carbs yeah, yeah. um but mm-hmm. it, dude it's and not it's not it's irritability it's, or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah that's a far cry from delirium tremens right and going into cardiac issues. arrest and mm-hmm. dying it, it okay is, but it's not a far cry from crashing from cocaine um, right? right 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 so, so there's that, no withdrawal there and people will tell you they're in withdrawal. I know. That's the funny thing is people think like, well, she's saying here, like you think that your body is craving this sugar in some special way and it's not. Mm-hmm. And that's what people go through cocaine when they when they stop cocaine or they stop meth. They think their body's screaming out yeah. for it. And it's like, no, your body really isn't. No, all. not at all. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's right. There's, so right? that's right. So you have that factor that that's different. And then so really what what is then there's another factor. There's another factor. And that is society does not agree with taking meth. Exactly. Okay. Right. So so a huge heaping bunch of you know, uh, judgment is put on whether you should do cocaine or not. And then everything cascades down from that. The whole drug addiction ideal gets built on this idea that you're a bad person or um, you're you're an addict, right? I mean, you're, you're a train wreck and we don't agree with it. So then you need treatment and this whole thing builds on that. So with sugar, you really don't have that. I mean, they try. Well, the, look, uh, they, yeah, they I mean, try. Didn't, didn't, uh, well, didn't the mayor of New York like outlaw big gulp sodas well, exactly. and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was. I remember being worried about that. I don't know if it fully went through or not. I, I, think I forget it did. what the yeah, outcome was. I think it did. But, but yeah, so part of what she talks about in here is, hey, look, don't demonize it. When you get in your head about demonizing sugar or carbs or whatever. This was the really interesting part to me, too, is that then you restrict yourself for a while. And this is what psychologists are saying. And and then you'll come back on this binge. You know, you all heard about that with dieting. Once somebody breaks the diet, they eat the chocolate cake. And now, you know, all bets are off. Right. And she so she's saying, like, look, uh, what looks like compulsive use is just you responding to being restricted. Yeah. And I read that. I'm like, look, I see this in people all the time. I've seen it in myself. Mm-hmm. Right. When when I restricted myself from using for a while and then went back, you know, hard and heavy. Right. And you see it when people come out of jail. That's when the most overdoses happen. They've been restricted from using the whole time. Now when they go to do it, they do it big, you know. So she's explaining the truth about sugar with this is it's is it's coming these binges are coming from restriction. And what I want to say is a lot of time in drugs. It's the same exact it, thing. It's, it's the same phenomenon. You're you're denying yourself what you really want to do. You're den- you you like it on some level and and it's easy to do it with sugar because it tastes good and most people like it. Yeah. You know, where and that's the substances are the same way. Anybody that likes to use heavily, you know, is going to if they start denying themselves, which 
you know, that's what you do when you're having fear-based abstinence. Um, and that's what we see. We see higher rates of binge usage in those people. Yeah. So what you're saying about the baggage, the negative baggage, that causes causes us, if we buy it, right, mm -hmm. to go into the all or nothing mode. Right. The shaming ourselves, restraining ourselves. We create, the, the construct gets built. Yeah. We create a whole framework of guilt, yeah. shame, distraction from the fact that you like to eat sugar, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Or you like cocaine or you like heroin. So the, the factors that actually drive the use, the preference, get forgotten. And the target becomes shame, guilt, and the fact that you're an addict. It totally, you know, sure. so all the real reasons get lost. And so when you, when you look at what she's doing in this article, she hits on don't demonize it. It's not bad. You can have some sugar in your diet. Yep. She's trying to do what... We've been trying for 30 what years. What we've been <laughs> trying to do with drugs, right? Yep. What Carl Hart is out there trying to do, which is to just bring some sanity to the table. And let's not paint these as all or nothing bad or good things. And like we spent in chapter four... Um, of the freedom model. I kept hitting on this is normal. Yep. Right? Yep. Opioids, we know they've been used mm -hmm. for at least 6,000 years. Yep. So it's a normal, natural thing to use opioids. We know that alcohol, at least 10,000 years people have been making. We know it's normal and natural. Hey, let's calm down, bring down the heat. Um, it's normal and natural to want to have pleasure and fun. Right. And whatever, you go down the list of things, and we're trying to bring down the heat and say, like, let's look at this in a realistic light. She's trying to head off the same thing happening with sugar, where people have got, you know, people are a certain segment, the diet and fitness right. people are going overboard with demonizing it. She's trying to head that off. It's yeah. true. But, but I think that, that uh, she's kind of late to the party. Uh, you know, I mean, well, they've been demonizing, they've been demonizing sugar now for a good solid 20 years. 20 years at least. Um, well, yeah, and, you know, but we're late to the party. I know, I know. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. ultimately. No, I'm not, it's not a cut on her. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate that it's gotten there. Yeah. It's unfortunate that it, that it, that it goes there, that we now have every type of addiction for any activity and, you know, it all gets classified in the same way that if you like something a real lot and you yeah. do it a lot, you're addicted to it. Right. And and it's and really... And so the substance that you like a whole lot must be bad. Yeah. It must yeah. have power over you, right? Yeah. Remember, the, wasn't there the, um, the Twinkie defense <laughs> where Twinkies had driven a guy crazy to murder <laughs> yeah, yeah. the, I do remember. the refined sugar yes. in it or something yes. like that? Yes. I mean, so, yeah, it's been demonized for a while. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but... But, but clearly, most people look at it. I mean, we look at the, the study about, you know, where they say Oreos are more addictive than cocaine. We bring that one up a lot because it's just so silly. It I is. I think the average person sees through how most of this is silly. But when you do get in your head about... And you know what? To that point, the average drug user, somebody college age, yeah. 20s, 30s, whatever, looks at all the hype about drugs and is like, come on. Like, right. You know. Yeah. I've done coke before. Yeah. You know, I didn't like steal my grandma's VCR for it. That's an old <laughs> reference. But, uh, yeah, right? You know, I, I didn't take the DeSoto. <laughs> What's a DeSoto? <laughs> yeah, 
it's an old car. It's an old car. They don't make them anymore. <laughs> My only old car reference is like Studebaker. All right, Studebaker to sound out essentially the same thing. Oh my God. But yeah, so the average person can see through that demonization and hype. A lot of average drug users do, right? Yeah, but that's, then, where, that's where you start. Yeah, but yeah. then once people start giving you shit about it and you get in your head, that's where the demonization yeah. takes hold. And it's the same thing with the sugar. You start having a weight problem, this or that, or you read something about all the health effects and you start yeah. freaking out about that because you're... Getting to middle age, you're like 44 years old. Start putting on weight. <laughs> you're you're a 44 year old aging man who doesn't want to lose his looks. <laughs> How Talk- old are you? Seeing? <laughs> and no, and then that's- As he, by the way, he walked in here eating a Reese's peanut butter cup, <laughs> and then I followed it up by eating a peppermint patty and feeling like I was on top yeah. of a mountain. <laughs> and so, but yeah, you can get in your head about it. That's what allows, it's those it's those fears and those like negative feelings about yourself that allows this demonization to take hold. And really, that's what a lot of this thing is arguing against. Like, hey, let's not demonize it, be sane. Yeah. And I think that is what really needs to apply to drugs. And it's very hard to argue with some people into, um, you know, like, hey, you know, you don't have to... Like, you know, you meet somebody who's been using and having a problem with drugs for 20, 30 years, and all they can say is, this is the worst thing on earth that destroys mm-hmm. my life. And you say, yep. well, let's look at your motivations. Why do you want to do this? And they won't go there because they can only allow themselves to have this demonized view at this point. And, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do is say, like, hey, let's just get the realistic view for now. What right. is it that you think you're getting out of it? And, like, people can't go there. It's, you know, and we see it as, like, just this major barrier to progress. To- it, it is. Here's, here's what's so interesting about it. The solution to addiction is so simple, right? If you didn't have society's influence, Western culture influence, if you didn't have the recovery society badgering you, if you didn't have all that stuff, it comes right down to the very views you had when you were first getting high, when you were 12, 15, 28, whenever it was, mm-hmm. where you just liked it. Right. You know, and it doesn't really grow different from there. What happens is, um, and usually, if anything, it, it over time, it becomes less important, right? We know that. Yeah. So, but, so why is this tiny percentage of people, these quote-unquote chronic users that are in treatment, in and out of treatment, in and out of recovery... Why are they so lost? And and it's because of recovery. It's because of the demonization that gives the substance such power, you know, the yeah. perception of power. And, you know, that that is what's so sad. And people will say to me, Mark, it can't be as simple as making a choice. And I say, really? I mean, th- really, it is... is is that what you think? And they say, yeah, it can't be that simple. And I said, well, with you, it's not because right. you don't believe that. Yeah. You know, so we have to clear away all the things that, that are in the way of you thinking that it is just a choice because in the end it is. Um, but boy, I can tell you that, you know, we had to write a book of 450 pages to clear away all that, all that stuff that's in the way. And, um, but I want to, I want the listeners to know that 
uh, in the end analysis, people have preferences for, for things, and, uh, and they choose them. They freely choose them. Yeah. Yeah. And Michelle's flipping to something. Well, I'm flipping to, we have in one of the chapters of the book, um, Categorical Thinking. Chapter 15. It's in chapter 15 yeah. where we talk about exactly about this, that there's literally no good or bad substances. Every mm-hmm. substance has a has a purpose. There's no good or bad foods, right. you yeah. know, and, um, and truthfully, maybe, you know, there's there are categorically some good and bad activities. I suppose murdering people is a pretty bad activity. But in general, um, you know, when we tend to demonize things that we like, you um, it re- what it does is it muddies the waters so much so yeah. that yeah, you're right. I mean, that's I mean, so we st- already started this talking about let's this is what I work with with women a lot is let's let's let's, you know, take down the temperature of it a little bit because I work with a lot of women who are, you know, my age, right around 50. They're just drinking heavily. Mm. Um, they will. They don't believe they like what they're doing, um, and they're embarrassed to say how much they like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it makes it almost impossible, almost impossible. Because the minute they start drinking, and I was actually just talking to somebody the other day, you know, the minute they start drinking, they feel um, ashamed that that this is what they're doing it again they said they wouldn't do it they're doing it again yeah yeah you know and Mm -hmm. um and so for me if i feel shame i'm that's going to definitely make what i'm doing more attractive yeah yeah Yeah. it does does. well it provides it power it says that it it has some hold on your psyche in some way that's that's the belief and um and that's a real unfortunate way to go through something. It's interesting. There is no good or bad drug, you said. And um, there are, you know, things like murder that are bad, right? But that's a that's a, that's a choice. It's an activity. extreme thing. Well, right. that's a choice. And there is no good or bad drug because a, a drug isn't alive and it can't choose. Right. Yeah. Okay? So, so it's really strange the way we talk about drugs as being cunning, baffling, powerful, addictive, Right. It's as if they're active agents, right? They have problem-solving agents. That are out it. to destroy us. Yeah, and 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 so if that were true, they would be bad. I mean, that that would be like like a virus. That would yeah. be like a cancerous lesion that's taking over the DNA in your cells. It's not doing any of that. No. So so it's really 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 important to focus on the fact that drugs are literally lifeless. They don't have a life force or an intention. And people say, yeah, 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 I get that. But they don't. No. They don't. They really think that it's out to get them. They think it has power. Yeah, and I think the the term, you know, addictive, right? Right. That was another big focus of this article. And, you know, she's trying to suss out, you know, yes. is sugar addictive? And to me, the whole concept of something being addictive, and none of us came up with this, right? Like, I think Stanton's the one who said it long ago, you know, it's like, there's not addictiveness in a thing. It's, it's, it's a relationship between the person in that thing. Right. Really, it's a one-sided relationship if that thing is lifeless. That's right. right. <laughs> no, that, that, right. That's, that's a great point. You know, but really, you know, it's like, People, and we say this, and I always have to be careful when we say, like, there's no such thing as an addictive drug. They'll be like, oh, heroin. It's like, no, that's a drug that produces withdrawal. 
toxicity, right? Right. Yeah. It produces a withdrawal syndrome. That is not synonymous with addictive. Right. Because people go through that withdrawal all the time. And, you know, after surgery, we've mentioned this a million times. And right. And listeners are probably sick of hearing it. But after surgery, they get taken off of morphine, you know, a few weeks of morphine, they get taken off cold turkey, they go through the withdrawal, same as a heroin user on the street, and it doesn't bother them in the slightest. Right. Or it bothers them, but they just, it's yeah, just... Yeah, it's a temporary it, sickness. It's just a temporary sickness to them, right? So addictiveness does not mean withdrawal producing, you know, and she brings in the withdrawal thing as one, but like, it's not just that, you know? Um, so addictiveness, what is that? Um people say that about anything that people like. like. Yeah, that's true. You know, and it's like, okay, so it's something you find value in. Um, but if you talk about, you know, if you talk about heroin, if you talk about can we rank drugs on their addictiveness, right? They look at, scientists look at things like the capture, they call it a capture rate, right? Which is... <laughs> oh, my God. Like, the drug with yes. the highest capture rate... Right, it's out to get is, you. <laughs> um, well, it's probably nicotine, but they don't I, usually I was going to say, I thought that. But would be heroin, and it's something like 20 to 25% of people who use heroin eventually develop a long-term problem with it, right? Uh, that's the highest, you know, and then... When you get down to cocaine, it's like single digits. Mm -hmm. When you get to alcohol, it's around 10%, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you get to crack, I think it's around 13. It's And so still, the vast majority, you know, and she goes through what's like, well, sugar doesn't cause compulsion and compulsive use, and it's not addictive like these drugs. But that's taking the assumption that these drugs turn everybody who uses oh, them uh, into these non-stop users and the vast majority of people don't. So here here here's a point that you you just made. What is the capture rate of cocaine? It's in the single digits. Okay, what is what is the capture rate of crack? It's like 13. It's the same drug. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, right? It's the delivery well, and the price. Well, okay, exactly. it's the price. So now you're talking about <laughs> the reason crack was created was for the dealer. It's cheap. Yeah, and, and the dealer had a, a, an easier way to hide it and transport it and the whole thing. It's And it's more economical. So, um, yeah, it's the but, same thing. They use some kind of paste. Yeah. There's in the, in in uh, South America. There's powder cocaine, exactly. and then there's some kind of paste that they're saying is basically that's their crack. Yes, it's the cheap version. Yeah, it's the cheap version. Yeah, yeah. So it's so that's what plays into this this capture rate. Just the, yeah, just the right? just the idea of a capture rate. Right, that the drug enslaves yes. people. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. These terms are important to realize, but but you, then. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. But people don't realize when they're saying these things that they're actually repeating something in in their mind, in their conscious mind, where they're they're saying to themselves, "This drug has addictiveness. It has power." Yeah. Well, see, so when we think we think of chemicals, we think of a chemical reaction. We use the the example in the book of if you put a match to a tank of gasoline, a mm -hmm. hundred times in a row, you get an ex you get an explosion. Hundred right. times in a row. Right? If you mix an acid and a base, you're going to get an explosion, right? We tend to think of these chemical reactions, we think of chemical reactions like that, where 
it doesn't matter what the scientist is, let's say, thinking when he touches the match to the gasoline, right? Right, right. not it at all. It doesn't matter his socioeconomic status. <laughs> doesn't matter whether he's having a good day or a bad day. If he mixes the acid and the base, they're going to blow up. Right. Right? right. And, but if somebody is like, well, if they're, they're living where crack is the drug they can afford, right. they don't feel like they have much going on in their life, that they want to do or that would make them that would be fun to them and all of a sudden cracks more addictive than cocaine yes in that situation right but let's not also forget that those people are more likely to get arrested by the police and haggled and they're going to meet the definition of addiction sooner than the wall street guy right the wall street guy is not is prone to getting arrested right because either racism or where he hangs out or you name it, down the line, right, right? right? Of things that keep him out of the way of police. And getting in trouble with the police ends up being a symptom of addiction, or at least it was in DSM-4. Right. I, I don't know if it is in 5. I always forget what's in 5. But, like, get, you know, so, you know, you're measuring addiction by that. Now, the other thing you can look at is um, why I, I always use this example with heroin versus prescription opioids, Right. Out of 100 million people that use prescription opioids in a year, you see 2 million that fit the definition of addiction. Out of 800,000 who use heroin in a year, you see 600,000 that fit the definition of addiction. That's a massive difference. That's like, in terms of yearly users, 2% of prescription opioid users are supposedly addicted. I don't like the word. And then like, it's something like, uh, what what would it be? Seventy five percent, six hundred out of eight hundred with the heroin. So there's thirty five times more <laughs> addictive if right. you want to do it yeah. that right. Two percent yeah. versus yeah. seventy five, right? But so what is the difference, right? It's not the drug because there's the same drug right. in the brain. The chemical reaction is the same. It's what is it? It's the intentions people are going to that drug with. Addictiveness isn't in the drug. A heroin user is willing to break taboos and yep. wants to get what's supposed to be the ultimate high. A person who's prescribed opioids is, you know, usually trying to address pain. And some, at, at some stages, are like, oh, I'll take a few of these for fun. And it's not as much right. of a taboo. It's not as much of a taboo. And in a lot of cases, they're still trying to hide it and live their lives as normally as possible. When that, that isn't necessarily the case with a heroin user who's, who's out in the street and copping drugs and yeah. dealing with the police and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Yeah. So they're totally different. So addictiveness isn't there in the drug. Same way it's not there in sugar. Right. Or pornography. Or alcohol. Yeah. Or alcohol. Right. Yeah. Right. So... You can't be enslaved. You're not going to be enslaved by a substance. That's right. Ever. Yeah. That's right. Or a food no. or, or an activity. That's why it's such a hard thing to find a, a definition for addiction. Yeah. Right? Is, and then people will say, well, anytime you have problems from the, the result of use. And it's, well, no, I would call that problematic use. And that's completely individual centered because what one person sees as a problem. I know a lot of guys and girls where I come from wouldn't see those as problems. Right. You know? So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, sure. it's, a lot of people see it as the cost of getting high. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, they, it's just, a, I, I'm not kidding you. I, I grew up with, with crews of people who, who by any, uh, researchers, a conventional researcher standards would be 
totally classed as addicts. And if you ask these people, are you an addict? They'd punch you in the face. <laughs> they'd be like, I'm like an addict. <laughs> you know, who you call it an addict? You know, they wouldn't even, they, their lives, you know, so, so it's a completely subjective thing. Well, it's, a, it's the same thing with college kids and high school kids yep. that are happy to get in a fight drunk. Right. They're, they're, how hungover you are is like a badge of pride. Of course. And most of them don't go on to become these like, you know, the 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 face of addiction. Right. You know what I mean? They yeah. they they just sort of grow out of it and it's very attractive to cause right. trouble and it's not always trouble you want, but it's it's acceptable. That's right. Right? So you know, you're defining things in that in that way by the troubles a pro- person has and that makes it addiction and it's just though even the troubles, the cost, it's all subjective to the person. Okay. We're coming up to about a half an hour. Do we want to wrap it up? Yep. Um, yeah, my wrap-up will be this. You know, bring down the temperature. Yeah. Right? If you want to think of your substance as addictive, um, you're going to feel out of control in front of it, just like she said in the in the article. You yeah. know, it really, really comes down to that. And it's so it starts with not admitting that you're an addict, but admitting that there's something you like about it identify that yep you've got a starting point you can now feel like you're choosing right yeah and i my closing statement would be look at how you think and talk and the terms you talk to describe uh your your likes and dislikes if you if you describe your likes and dislikes as powerful substances that are out to get you um, then that's going to rule your life. Then you're going to believe that, and it's going to feel like you're enslaved. You're literally going to cast that onto a lifeless substance, and that's really unfortunate because that's mythology guiding your life. That's like a belief system um, that you don't need. You don't need to believe that because it's not empirically true. Um, so, so let that go. Uh, but if you find yourself describing drugs in personified ways that they're out to get you. They have power. They're cunning, baffling, powerful. If you go into meetings that push that agenda, maybe change that and let it go because it's not true. My closing statement would be to approach your preference without shame Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and really get to the heart of what you like about it and be okay with it. Know that it's okay. And that you can change it. And that you can change it. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help in breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net and leaveaddictionbehind.com. I'm going to tell you our 23 days are going to stay up on thefreedommodel.org forward slash 23 days for the foreseeable future. Um, you can see it there or you can see it, see it at the Freedom Model YouTube channel. And we're going we're gonna to be reposting those every once in a while just to remind everyone um, that, that, you know, it's there to help you if you want. We also offer a bunch of a bunch of free resources on thefreedommodel.org, including um, these podcasts, ebooks, our digital editions of our books. You can still get those for free. Um, that's the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for for the Family. Um, you go to thefreedommodel.org forward slash products, and you can type in Freedom One Hundred, um, and 
or for the main book and for the family book, Family 100. And um, you can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. From everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. Oh, wait a minute, one more thing. One more thing, and that is if you need detox. Oh, yeah. We recommend Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.